this episode of the Skiff Meetings podcast. In this episode, I speak to Dan Maxi, the Chief Events Officer at Time Magazine. Our conversation focuses on the intersection of event planning and business strategy. We also talk about the importance of leadership buy-in, the most important trends in events, and the real-life implications of the role of Chief Events Officer. We cover things like what inspired Dan to jump from his editorial role to delve deeper into the world of events. We talk about why Time made the strategic decision to invest in events. And Dan shares his advice on making a compelling business case to support events. He also shares tips on handling stress and why he's excited about the potential of hybrid events. We talk about what Dan would change about events if he could and why he only hires event professionals with real world event experience. We also talk about some of the new and exciting event formats that Dan is looking to implement into Time Magazine's events. And we talk about what technology Dan is most excited about that he'll be using next. Lastly, we talk about how his chief events officer role works in practice and how he sees it evolving at Time and at other companies. I hope you enjoy listening to this podcast and don't forget to check out the other episodes of the Skiff Meetings podcast. for a word from our sponsors, PHL Life Sciences, a division of the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau. Host your convention or trade show in Philadelphia, one of America's leading life sciences hubs. PHL Life Sciences, the first and only CVB division of its kind, will connect you to the professionals at the forefront of your industry and to a culture you can only find in Philadelphia. A city known for its rich history that's forging a bright future, Philadelphia challenges the expected and defies convention. A world of discovery is waiting. Visit phllife.com to learn more. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Skiff Meetings podcast. And today I am really delighted to have with us Dan Maxi, the Chief Events Officer of Time Magazine. Dan, uh, welcome to the show and congratulations right off the top. Thank you so much. It's, it's so exciting to be here uh, and I can't wait to talk events with you. Great stuff. So Dan, you're sort of the, the hero of, of the event planning and meeting planning community at the moment. So really appreciate you, you being with us. But for those that aren't familiar with your journey, I'd love you to talk about, you know, how you got to this role of, of chief events officer, the CEO role. And I always like our guests to start off from the point of kind of when they discovered events and, and business events in that sense. Do you remember that moment? I do. Uh, I remember that moment very well, so I, I'm happy to talk about it. So I started almost a decade ago as an editor at Time responsible for overseeing the creation of our major uh, annual editorial list, most, sorry, most notably the Time 100 list of the world's most influential people. And there was a lot I loved about editing that list because it was really the only list where you'd find you know, Taylor Swift next to the Pope, next to Barack Obama, next to a scientist who was helping to cure cancer or something like that. Um, it was pretty wild. So, but as much as I loved producing that list journalistically, and I did love producing that list journalistically, I realized pretty quickly that the magic of that list really came to life at our annual Time 100 Gala, where we would invite everyone on the list to the same dinner party, essentially, in New York City. It was to me the most impactful, powerful extension of journalism that I'd ever seen. Like here was a room full of people, all of whom had been handpicked by time for being influential leaders in their fields. 
And now, because of us, they were getting to meet each other in person. And, and who knows what would happen there? Maybe they collaborate in an idea because they met in our room. We always talked about how our lists create community. But now I really understood after attending that event, like what that really meant. And I feel like we were only scratching the surface. So that was the moment where I was like, turned from what I would say journalist and editor into events evangelists. And from there, the rest is an amazing journey of growth uh, and experimentation and all that stuff. But that was the moment, that first time 100 gala I attended where I was like, oh, events are the way forward. And I mean, have you been involved with events before, like in college or anything like that? Was events sort of part of your world in any way? Oh, yeah. I mean, listen, when I was in high school and college, I was I did theater. Uh, I was a theater camp counselor. Um, I've always had a passion for live experiences on stage and off. So, yes, I attended a lot of events in college. I attended events in high school. I attended events as a journalist when I started at Business Week and Fast Company. Um, but I think they always felt a little bit like out of reach. Like I was like, how does this all come together? How does this happen? Like, and then I think the Time 100 was the first time that I was a part of event, an event that I had helped plan and have ownership over. So that's when I was like, oh, this could be something that I do professionally, not just something I enjoy going to as an attendee. Yeah. And so do you feel more of an event professional now or an editorial professional in your mind? So I would say I straddle the line. I have essentially two roles at time. I still oversee our editorial lists. However, I also oversee our events business. And I don't think the two are mutually exclusive. The great thing about, because I have teams that handle both, because a lot of our editorial that I work on is centered on people, lists of people, right? So what that really is, in some ways, it's audience development, because you are curating lists of people who are influential in their fields, covering them editorially by time, and then inviting them to be part of our events, which I also oversee. So I do think, I feel, I mean, I have a chief events officer title. Uh, I feel like I'm an events professional now, for sure. But I also think there's a huge editorial component to that that makes it all work together. Okay. And so now take us through the different types of events that you've been involved in. And maybe if you if you can pick out highlights, that sounds like a highlight, the, 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 the top 100 list. But are there others that kind of come to mind as highlights? And if you could give us sort of an overview of the different types of events that you run now. Sure. So we do several different types of events. Uh, we do summits where we convene people, you know, major names like Nancy Pelosi or Jared Kushner, Kim Kardashian, um, Sam Altman on our stages in front of audiences of hundreds of people uh, for curated conversations. So that's one type of event we do. We do it in New York City. Uh, we just did our first one in Kigali, Rwanda, which I was really excited about. Um, and we've done, we've done summits uh, for, for a couple of years now. The other type of event that we do um, that is pretty standard for us is what we call our Time 100 Talk. Um, and that's where it's a smaller thing, a breakfast, a lunch, or a dinner uh, with one curated panel conversation around a dedicated topic like the future of healthcare or AI and marketing or something like that in front of a smaller curated audience of 25 to 30 people. Um, I also like those events because they're smaller, easier to network with people, make connections on stage and off. And then the other kind of event that we do that I feel like is kind of unique to time, this is where we leverage our 
editorial capabilities. And these are what we call impact dinners. The Time 100 Gala is probably the apex example of this, but this is where we have an editorial list that we do, Time 100 Most Influential People, or Time 100 Next Most Influential People, or Women of the Year, um, or Time 100 AI, the Most Influential People in AI. And then we invite all of those individuals to one dinner in a given city somewhere in the world. And the programming at those dinners is almost like, it's almost like toasts at a wedding because we want to make them feel like everyone, we include as many people as possible, right? Because this is a list of a hundred people. A lot of these people have community with each other. Uh, so we have, you know, anywhere between five and 10 of the people on the list who are in attendance speak for a couple minutes on the same prompt. So you get these really awesome like bursts of inspiration and programming and you get the whole room if you're if you're doing it right feeling like they're a part of the show. And I think that is so important for the community building aspect of events because it's less about audience and star, right? And more about like we're all here together, we're all experiencing this together and we can all be a part of the program. So those are the three main types of events that we do. Interesting. And and so you have these big names that come to the events. Is it is it your team that also manages the the kind of contacts with these big names? Like who's in charge of the the celebrity wrangling, if you will? Yes. Yes, it is our team. So uh like I mentioned, I have direct oversight over the editorial production of our lists. Um as well as I have a head of programming who reports into me, who works with our editors to you know, make sure that when we're inviting notable people to our stages, like they're getting VIP service, we're getting them the right logistical details, all that stuff. Um, audience development reports up into me and so does production. Um, and then sales and marketing dotted lines into me. So uh, I really get like a top level overview of every element that makes an event. Celebrity wrangling is probably one of the toughest ones, uh, but yeah, it's it's you know never a dull moment is what I like to say. <laughs> and what about the sponsorship side? So I, I assume that's the sales and marketing, and your events I assume are, are sponsorship. You know, the revenue comes mainly from sponsorship, right? Yes, uh, our event revenue is all sponsorship driven, um, and I work very closely. I mean, honestly, that's one of the key responsibilities of a chief events officer is to work really closely with the revenue side of our organization and make sure that our goals are aligned. What we can do physically, functionally, financially is aligned with what our sponsors are willing to pay to ensure that we're building a sustainable business and also creating great events. Makes total sense. Now, I saw some quotes in the digit. Digiday article uh, that I think were quite interesting. Uh, your CEO, Jessica Sibley, said that uh, you have 70% year-on-year increase in U.S. events revenue and 14% increase year-over-year in international events revenue. What do you attribute that to? I mean, those are pretty impressive numbers, particularly the U.S. events revenue. Is that something that is just the right time? Events are just in right now. Are you doing something much better than everybody else. I'm sure you are, but I don't know if you have a sense of like, you know, how much better that is. So I would attribute that. Well, first of all, I would attribute that to the fact that like Jess is an amazing leader um, when it comes to events and she's believed in us and empowered our team. So is our editor in chief, Sam Jacobs. Uh, and, but I think like, I would say this is the first year that time really bet big on events. We invested in our team. We did more events than ever. Um, because the market was ready for it. And I also think like the events that we're doing 
like I mentioned, that marry the power of our editorial lists um, with the prowess of our event production team and our convening power in those rooms, like that gives us a competitive edge over other media brands. So I would say that the, the main reason that our revenue has increased so much year over year is because this is the first year that we were really serious about turning our events business into a business. Uh, and I think it's only going to get better from here. What, do you, what changed? Like what, what prompted that? Was it, was it seeing that it was working or was it something else that kind of pushed you in this direction? Yes. So I, right after the pandemic, we were doing maybe six events a year uh, and they were pretty successful. And then the next year, 2022, we did, I think it was like 10 to 12. Um, and those were also pretty successful. So our on-ramp started to, you know, we were, we were basically doing more experimentation and it was working. And so finally, once we had proven our case, this was a big point for me. I went, I was evangelizing events for a very long time, but once they really started to work post pandemic, last year was the year that I went to Jess and Sam and I was like, let's bet big. We have a proof of concept. Like our sponsors are happy. Our audiences are happy. We've proven that we can do several different types of events. Now let's do a lot more. So that's really what drove it. It was success. It was, it was a proven track record of success, a willingness from our leadership team to invest in that success. And then a lot of hard work behind the scenes to ensure that we maintained that momentum, uh, which was hard at times because going from, you know, we doubled the amount of events that we did last year. Um, and it took a while to get the team and the resources up to speed <laughs> to make sure that we could do all of that. But we worked very hard behind the scenes to ensure that we were consistently delivering great experiences. So we're pretty proud of what we accomplished. That's great. And how do you see it evolving? Do you think, I mean, is this can it continue to grow or is there sort of a cap on how far you think it can grow? I hope it can continue to grow. I think when you look at like the you know, pantheon of human history, like it's clear that events are not a fad. They've been around forever. Like as long as humans have existed, they have found reasons to gather in spaces and do things together and make connections. So I hear, I hear sometimes like, oh, are events just a fad? And I'm like, I mean, I don't know, look back at history. Like events have always been a fad if you think about it that way. So um, I do think that we can continue to grow. I think we've only scratched the surface of what we can do. There are a lot of cities and in regions that we haven't activated in as a global brand. There are a lot of types of events we haven't been able to do. So again, I'm just excited for the future. Love it. So one of the themes that I think I'm sensing here is this idea of, you know, making a business case. And, and this is something we talk a lot at SCIF meetings, which is this idea of kind of speaking the language of the C-suite. Uh, and I've heard you talk about that, you know, kind of really making great business cases. Any advice that you can give to fellow planners on, on how to do that? Is it about using the right words? Is it about building a really good financial case? Um, what, what do you, what's your way of thinking about this? That, that part is so important. Uh, like, I think that the main part of my job as an executive is being what I'd like to call like a translator in chief of advocating for my team uh, and telling the executive leadership, like how their investments will pay off. So my, my biggest piece of advice is don't be afraid, A, to advocate for yourself and B, to create a business plan. Don't be scared by the word business plan. Because I'm saying that because I was. And then I, when I did it, I was like, oh, this is not 
you don't have to go to business school to create a business plan. You don't have to have a ton of financial knowledge to create a business plan. All you need to do is say, essentially, like, here's what I need from you. Here's what I will turn that into. And here's how I will do that. That's it. Those three things. I don't need to oversimplify, but it is really that simple. So if you are struggling as an events professional to get the attention of your C-suite, money talks or or whatever, if it's not money that, you're, that your executive team is after, maybe it's we want more customers or we want more people to engage with us. Find whatever it is that they care most about and then find a narrative that helps showcase how doing more of the events that you want to do will help deliver them more of that goal. That's what you need to prove in your business plan. And that will make it easier to get your vision realized by your executive team. It makes a lot of sense when you say it that way, but I know a lot of people struggle with this, right? That, that, that real buy-in from the C-suite is, is not always the, a straight line. Let, let me also add then, because I, I, I also struggled with it. Like this stuff is not easy, even though I'm saying it sounds easier than it is. So the other thing that really helped me, honestly, was finding allies within my organization. Like this is one of the reasons why I think being a journalist helped me, but you don't have to be a journalist to understand this. Like you just got to know what you don't know and then ask questions of the right people to get that knowledge if you need it. So if you don't feel comfortable like building spreadsheets or doing projections, like go find the person that you're closest to on your sales or marketing organization and just have a conversation with them and just be like, listen, here's what I'm trying to do. Like, are you interested in this? Like, would you want to help me build this? Like think about ways that it would benefit both of you. And then all of a sudden you've gotten an ally and you're not doing this alone because it's scary to do it alone. So go find like one, two, three, four allies, whatever you need to help build your case. And then you'll realize that like the case you're building, it's not only more fun to build, but like it gets stronger because all of a sudden you've got this hive mind of people with different skill sets than you do building a plan. Because as you know, as an event professional, like events touch so many things. Like you gotta be a little bit of like an accountant and you gotta be a journalist because you're thinking about what's happening on a stage and you have to be a planner. Like there's so many things. So as you're building your vision and your business plan, just go find friends in your organization. Go find allies. It will be more fun and it will be more effective when you do that. I think that's great advice and, and really talks to the power of events as well, that, that community, that gathering, that bringing people together. So let me ask you this then, what, what's keeping you up at night? Are there any kind of challenges in your business or in sort of planning in general that you think um, you know, are, are, are worrying you at the moment? There are so many things that keep me up at night. Uh, as, as any of you who work in events know, it's never a success until it is over. So up until that, up until the event ends, <laughs> like there are so many things to keep you up at night. I'm like, oh my God, is the power going to go out at the venue? Is our headliner going to cancel? Uh, all these people that said they RSVP'd, are they actually going to show up? Are too many going to show up? Are not enough going to show up? Like there's a list of probably like 10 or 15 things for every event that I'm always like, freaked out about. I try to just temper that by saying that like, you can only, you got to focus on what you can control, right? So it is my job and my team's job to do everything we can before an event happens to set ourselves up to succeed. What happens on the day of the event? Sometimes there's just things we can't control. Power outages, people getting sick, all that stuff. You can't control it. But I want to focus on everything I can control and make sure that we are set up to succeed. So that's what keeps me up at night. 
so many things, <laughs> but I try to still get some sleep before event day. Sure. I mean, stress is one of the things that we talk a lot, you know, planners are apparently the, the fifth most stressful profession in the world, event planning uh, by some statistics. Um, are there, do you have any advice from, from your sort of experience in terms of dealing with that stress? Uh, you mentioned, you know, thinking about the things that you can control, but anything else come to mind? Yeah, it's, that's, that's really my biggest piece of advice is like, if you get stressed out about the things you can't control, it's just a waste of your time. Cause what can you do? Like just worrying about that stuff isn't going to fix it. It's not going to make it, it's not going to make it less likely that things go wrong or more likely that things go right. And once I sort of, I have to tell myself that sometimes, honestly, but once you realize that, like it does, I find it makes it easier for me to de-stress because like, I always like to think about like, okay, what good is my stress doing? Like, is it helping anything? Is it helping me? Is it helping the event? I think that prior to the event, a little bit of stress is a good thing because it makes sure that you're on your game and, you know, maybe you're, you're over-indexing on RSVPs if you're a little worried about turnout or you're booking an extra speaker if, um, if you're worried that one might get sick or cancel, like, or you're over-ordering food and beverage if you're worried about like all that stress that leads to action steps is, is a good thing. But then the stress that's bad is the kind that just doesn't lead to any action steps that you're just freaking yourself out. So that's, I just try to tell myself, don't worry about things you can't control. And I find it works most of the time. Are you ready to celebrate your successes in the world of meetings and events? The Skift Meetings Awards are back for 2024, recognizing the most innovative business events companies across 15 categories, and we want you to be a part of it. Winners will feature on Skift Meetings, sending a clear signal to events professionals around the world that these are partners they can rely on. The final deadline for submissions is June 11th. We encourage you to start your submission today to secure the best entry rates. For more information and to start your submission, head to live.skift.com. I like that separation of, of the different types of stress. I think that can be really useful. So what about sustainability? I mean, I'm not suggesting that this is something we can't control, but um, you know, everybody's talking about sustainability for a long time, event sustainability. How does that play into your plans and how do you look about look at sustainability, you know, when it comes to events? So I work really closely with our chief climate officer at time on practices we can do to make events more sustainable? Are there materials that we can recycle event over event? That's a huge thing. Like can we, if we build a giant Time 100 logo, can we put that in storage and then use it again so that we don't have to spend resources uh, building the same thing again? We also do it when we look at our menus, right? Like commonly known, like vegan food and fish so can be better for the environment. So to the extent that we can, we try to err on the side of, of doing that at our events with our menus. Um, so there are lots of ways when it comes to the physical production and the food and beverage that we look at the, the sustainability of events. The other thing that we do is whenever we can, we offer hybrid experiences at our events because what that does is it allows people to experience an event without traveling, without doing anything other than logging into their computer. So um, that makes our events more sustainable and more inclusive. So it's kind of a two for one. That's how I think about it. And what about the, the social side? I mean, you, you mentioned a, an event in Africa, which sounds like a, a wonderful experience. I mean, do you feel that that also has a, an impact uh, socially and culturally that, that, you know, a positive impact from your events? Yeah, like in my estimation, events are the most powerful 
brand builder that we have. And so you mentioned that event in Africa that came about because a lot of members of our time and time and country community from the continent who had attended our events in Dubai and Singapore and New York City and LA were like, hey, these are great, but like, when are you going to come to like where I live? And when are you going to do an event that's closer to me and then make other people come there? And so it took a while. We had to find the right partner to get that off the ground. Um, but when we did it, it was so exciting because I love the statistic, like 98% of the audience at that event had never attended a time event before, which means that like we had activated like a whole new group of community members and give them a way to experience time and interact with time and see our content. Um, so yeah, I, I love the power of events to build community in new places. And that's why as stressful as it is to do a first time event in a new place, I think there are so many benefits. So it's one of my favorite parts of the job. Good. So let's talk a little bit about trends. Um, any future trends that are particularly exciting you right now? Um, anything at all? Trends in general or trends for events or both? Trends for, trends for events. I think let's, let's focus okay. on the event side of things. Yeah, I would say um, I'm really excited to see how the hybrid event experience can evolve, like truly. I think that like one of our biggest challenges and probably a challenge for any event professional is figuring out how to capture the magic of the in-room experience for people who aren't in the room. Um, and so I am just endlessly fascinated with new tools and platforms that are coming out to help create better experiences, better event experiences for people who aren't at the actual event. And then the other trend that I'm just super curious to see how this plays out is the rise of artificial intelligence and like what that means for our industry. Like, does it mean that our like data analysis is going to get smarter and better? Uh, does that mean that it's going to be easier to build and design stages or anything? Like, I just am, I think we're like just scratching the surface of that in every profession. So I am particularly interested in how it's going to impact ours. So those are the two big trends that I'm watching. When you look at your events in, let's say, five years time, do you see them being very different? I mean, you know, with these trends, do you see them impacting the, the way the events run? That's a great question. Um, I do. I do see them impacting the way these events run. And I think like I wish I had a, a clue, although I guess if I could predict the future, I probably wouldn't be a, a journalist or an events professional. <laughs> I'd be, but like, um, uh, I do see them impacting the way that we that we do our events. I think, I don't know how, um, but I know it will be different. I also think, just to speak specifically for time, in five years for us, I want to be doing a lot more events all over the world. Uh, and I want to do more consumer-facing events. Like, that would be a big thing that, that I personally would be interested in. Um, we do a lot of events that are exclusive, for you know, high-level audience members and members of the Time 100 community. But I hear from a lot of people that they want to be able to attend a time event and they want to interface with time. So that's also top of mind for me is that in five years, I'd love to be able to be doing like a big festival somewhere or something that's very different from the types of events that we're doing now. Okay. Are there any things that, any barriers that you see in the industry that you'd, you'd kind of like to 
address and and i'm kind of i ask this question sometimes with with like a, a magic wand kind of analogy if you could kind of wave a magic wand and change things in the industry and how events run and how different things run is there anything that comes to mind that you would like to change pretty quickly so many things uh okay number one if you say you're coming to an event you should come to an event like so i want to change this culture of like if you rsvp it just means you might show up like that's so annoying for people who plan events so number one uh number two like i would try to solve the the as i say it like everyone is an expert problem with events which means that like your bosses or who a lot a lot of times the people that are approving events like they think they're experts because they planned a birthday party or they planned a wedding or they attended an event and so therefore they they know all about events so if i could wave another magic wand i would love to be able to make everyone understand how hard it is to execute events well, how much work and how much time and how much resources go into doing it um, before they act as if they are experts. So um, those are the two things that are, are top of mind for me. Uh, but listen, if I had a magic wand, there's probably 10 other things I'd want to fix, but those are the two big ones. I love that you picked such practical things and things that really impact the day-to-day -day for, for event professionals. I think that that's really fascinating. Yeah, I know you all can relate. <laughs> <laughs> this is the bane of our existence. What about building your team? I mean, you've expanded, I think I saw from five to 13 employees. Um, I think we're seeing across the industry, lots of challenges when it comes to sort of people coming back into the industry, finding talent, uh, finding young talent, finding older talent. How are you seeing that evolving and then how are you dealing with it? Hiring for my team was the biggest and most important task like I had to do over the past like year. Like just your people make your business. Like it, without the right people, like it does not work. And as you all know, like hiring the right, like events is a, it's a tricky thing to hire for. Like how do you hire an, an audience development head? Like this person has to understand the nuances of your brand and have great people facing skills and also great logistical skills behind the scenes. So the way I handled it is like, we just did a lot of interviews with a lot of people um, just to, just to see where the right skill sets were matching. Um, and I also trusted the people that were already on my team to help me do that vetting. Because again, when you're hiring for events, like you're spending a lot of time together, you are in the trenches together dealing with super stressful situations and things are going wrong and it's very high pressure. So I feel very fortunate that it made it easier to expand. It would have been a lot harder to expand from one to five than it was to expand from five to 13 because I had those five that were really, really good and they helped me using their networks um, and their expertise to get to that 13 that I, in ways that I wouldn't have been able to do on my own. Fascinating. Did you look at things like, uh, you know, university education specific to events or like CMP certifications or anything like that? Did, did those no. kind of things come into play? No, honestly, like when we were hiring, we were just looking for real world experience. Like, I don't, I don't care where you went to school. I mean, like, it's great that you did go to school. Don't get me wrong. Um, or if you have a specific certification, that's also great. But it's like, what I really want to know is like, okay, what have you done? Like, as you know, like the only way to become great at events is by doing events. Like you just have to keep doing more and more and more of them because so many of the skills that you learn on this job, you learn 
in real time when things go wrong and you have to fix them. And that's not something you can study for. Like you just kind of have to learn to think on your feet in the world of events. So the main thing I look for is like, what, what is your experience? What have you done? Like, what are your references? What do they say about you? Um, and what's your willingness to learn more uh, and be involved in this industry and build something new at time? Those are the main things I look for was experience over certifications. And so just following on from that, do you have any advice to sort of younger professionals that might be looking to follow in your footsteps? Is it all about getting experience or, you know, is there, are there other things that they should look at? So definitely getting experience is key. That's huge. You can't, you can't ascend to the top of an industry without experiencing that industry. Um, but the other thing I would say is just maintain your curiosity, like always try to find ways to learn. And that point that I made earlier in this interview about finding allies, like that's really important. If you want to eventually grow from an event like organizer or professional or planner into a chief events officer, like you have to learn to think like an executive. And that means you can't be scared of like building business plans or like getting financial know-how or working with your sales and marketing team to help monetize your events, all that stuff, right? So I would say just like, maintain, like be a curious person and find the right allies that can help you teach. In addition to getting the real-time event experience, just make sure you're maintaining that curiosity. Great advice. Just coming to mind in terms of the, the events that you're, you're planning, I, I don't know what your plans are for this year, but are, do you have any, any new experiments, any new tools, any new networking formats, anything that you're kind of playing with that you could maybe give us a hint of, of things that you're at least considering? So I would say like that, that toasts format that I mentioned to you, like we're going to really experiment with that a lot more this year. Um, that's pretty non-traditional. Like I haven't seen that at a ton of other events that we do, honestly, aside from like a wedding. Uh, and it tends to work pretty well at weddings because it keeps people speaking for ideally relatively short periods of time, but you get a lot of people to speak. So we're going to, we're going to experiment with that. Um, and then I think the biggest other thing that we're going to experiment with this year is activating adjacent to larger conferences and events. I really like doing that for a brand like time, like the world economic forum in Davos or, or the, the can advertising festival or the, the cop climate conference. Like um, I really like, activating adjacent to giant conferences where there are already built-in audiences because that removes like one barrier for us, like just getting the right people in the space. And then once, once you're there, there's a lot of ways that you can experiment. You can do a round table format, like you could do an off the record dinner, you can do an on the record dinner. So we're just going to experiment with a lot of different types of formats like that, but adjacent to larger events. Fascinating. Thank you for sharing. Um, what about technology? Are there any cool tools or types of tools that, that you're looking at right now? Yeah. So one thing that we are really interested in, in experimenting more with uh, are those those networking apps that you that you can get at conferences that sort of allow you to like basically like private message people like that are also there. So you can build many communities there. We we've dipped our toe. Uh, in doing some of that in the past. And we really want to get to do that in a bigger way this year. Because again, I'm a huge believer that the mark of a successful event is like, yes, you should be wowed by what happens on stage, the planned programming, but you also need to be wowed by what happens off stage. And that's something that like, we really can't 
controlled directly. So we want to make it as easy as possible to facilitate meaningful interactions. And so I think technology is a huge way that we can do that. We want to, we want to invest in more of those app technologies, um, maybe creating LinkedIn groups for people that have been to events so that they can connect and network afterwards. That I would say is like a huge focus for us in 2024 and 2025 is the post event and during event networking experience using tech. I'm sure a lot of tech providers are very happy to hear that because I think that's 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 something to make them happy. But um, do you have any concerns? I mean, you have such a kind of star by invitation only audience. Do you have a lot of sort of um, you know concerns there in terms of people abusing that or kind of it being a little bit out of control? So not everyone that like a lot of the people that speak at our events are what I would like to call stars. Like these are you know famous politicians or celebrities or whatever, but the audiences for our events, like they're influential people in their fields, but they're like, they're willing to network. Like they're coming there to network. Like these are, you know, director plus titles or VP plus titles. So yes, they're influential in their businesses, but like they're also looking to grow and to network and to build their careers and build um, their profiles. So I think the vast majority of our attendees who I would describe as like, like business decision makers, essentially, um, they're definitely not like too famous or too removed to want to network with each other. That's why they attend. Um, I think you're absolutely right. Like, I don't think Taylor Swift is going to join our LinkedIn platform, you know, but like uh, it's the rest of the audience, like they'd probably be pretty into it. I like it. I like that approach. Very open-ended. So I just want to zoom out again a little bit to the, to the, to the CEO role. How long have you been in the role now? About two months, I would okay. say. So I think um, probably I enough. Have, Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say like, I have been doing this role for almost three years, <laughs> but the title happened about two months ago. Is You know how that's like, how it usually works, right? Like yeah. you kind of got to do the job, prove that you can do the job and then you get recognized for it. But yeah, about, about two months officially. Okay. So talk to us a little bit about how it works in practice, right? We've kind of elevated the role of, of chief events officer, which we think is, you know, fantastic. Uh, and I know you have a real seat at the table. How does that work? And also, what has that enabled you to do? You've, you've talked about building business cases, but then when you discuss these business cases and you're actually sitting there at the table, how does that work in practice? How does that work out? So um, that's, a, that's a great question. Like. I would say the most important part of my job as a chief events officer is to align our aspirations with reality. So like, because that's how we build a sustainable business. So that's making sure that like, we are equipped to deliver on a physical level, the events that our teams are out there selling like on a marketing level. Um, so I got to make sure that those two goals are aligned. And I do a lot of work behind the scenes to make sure that they do. A lot of conversations with our sales and marketing team, a lot of conversations with our production programming and audience team to make sure that all of our goals are aligned. And I would say that having a seat at the table means that I can enforce that alignment in real time. A great example of this is like, you know, let's say that our CEO would never do this like per se, but something like this, like, oh, we're in an executive meeting. Seems like the events are doing well. Oh, why don't we, why don't we double the amount of events that we do? Why don't we triple the amount of events that we do? And then, you know, people that are not chief events officers will go around that table and be like, oh, that's such a good idea. Like that does seem like, like based on these numbers, that seems like an excellent use of our time and resources. 
And then it's my job in that moment, since I have a seat at the table, to say, hey, guys, totally appreciate your enthusiasm. However, unless we're doubling or tripling our budgets and doubling or tripling our resources, like that's just not feasible. And I know some of you listening might be like, well, isn't that just common sense? And the answer is like, yes, but you'd be surprised of how much of sitting in a boardroom and is just helping educate people on common sense when they're making decisions about like teams they don't need, essentially. Um, or even like to use a different example, like, oh, why don't we just do an event in like this place that I've never been to uh, and let's get like a thousand people there. You know, people love thinking about events in the abstract. And again, it's my job to sort of offer these reality checks in real time at that table. But one thing that I would say is super important when you're doing those reality checks is you never just shut down the idea outright because that's not productive. That gets you sort of this like bad reputation as someone who's uncollaborative and, and not on the side of the business. So I always like to offer like a, like a yes and or a no but. So it's, it's always like, that's such an interesting idea or that's such a good idea. But if we do this instead, it will set us up to succeed. And that way you're just sort of like shifting the conversation instead of shutting it down. And I think that is the most important thing that I do at that table, so to speak, um, is shifting the conversation in ways that benefits me and my team and sets the company up to succeed, but not shutting down the conversation because that's bad for everyone. I love that. That is a kind of a mini course in the boardroom politics, if you will. So uh, appreciate the yes. masterclass. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, yeah. I mean, it would be great if every company had a, a chief events officer. Do, do you see that evolving in that direction? I think the smart ones will. Like, if you take events seriously and you understand the value that they drive, uh, you will have a chief events officer. I think at a lot of companies, like, events aren't treated with the respect that they deserve. Um, and I think those companies will suffer for it. So I hope to see more companies embracing the role of chief events officer, or at least a, even if not that exact title, at least a very, very senior role for an event professional that gives them a seat at the table so that they can help shape the vision for events as opposed to just being handed down instructions to execute. Because I believe that the people that do events are incredibly smart and incredibly good at what they do and they are strategic thinkers. They just need to be given that opportunity. Or if they're not given that opportunity, they should find a way to, to get that opportunity. So I hope more companies do it. Well, let's, let's imagine for a second that there are a number of other chief events officers and we're creating a conference or a meeting, uh, an event for chief events officers. What would you like to see at that event if you were a participant and not the organizer? Well, first of all, that event better be the best planned event in the history of events. <laughs> if it's a if it's a convening of of chief events officers, um, but what I would like to see, I don't know, I, I would just like to meet a lot of these other chief events officers and compare notes. It's really exciting being someone who's blazing a new trail, uh, but it's also a little daunting because I don't have a ton of like professional colleagues or 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 people that I can talk to about who are experiencing similar like positions or headwinds or, or anything like that. So I would just be really grateful for the community building aspect of an event like that so that we can exchange notes, uh, talk about how we're getting our visions through, talk about how we are dealing with any roadblocks or hurdles. Like that's the part I'd be most excited about in an event like that.
And I would love to see what that event looks like and the tech behind it, because I'm sure <laughs> room full of chief events officers, like it would be pretty cool. Love it. Well, let's let's think about creating an event like that. And hopefully some of our skift events could maybe be that in the future. So appreciate your time, Dan. Really enjoyed our conversation. Um, want to get a recommendation from you for someone else to be on the podcast, another guest who could also talk to us about their events experience. So I would definitely recommend our CEO, Jessica Sibley, if she'd be open to it. Um, she has been a huge evangelist for the power of time events and events in general. She also participates in a lot of them. So she'd be great. And I also have to say, like, that is a huge reason why time events have been so successful. It's like, you, you got to have leadership that believes in the power of what you do uh, and is willing to take risks. So um, I'm grateful to her and to our editor-in-chief, Sam Jacobs, for doing that. Uh, and I think she'd be great. Thank you so much, Dan. Appreciate your time. Congratulations once more. Thank you for sharing your message and your view of the future with us. I really enjoyed the conversation and I look forward to uh, following your journey and learning more about the, the, the job that you're doing as Chief Events Officer over at Time. Awesome. Really enjoyed this conversation too. And, uh, and best of luck to everyone listening um, with their events careers. I believe in the power of what you do and uh, I love attending events. So good luck to you guys. <laughs>